Do veterans matter to the media? And does the media matter to veterans? Well, the answer is obviously yes. I mean, that's love the media. They love hearing their opinions reinforced or um, sometimes challenged. They certainly love being engaged and hearing journalistic takes and, and media takes and all that. So I guess the issue is really how does the media matter to veterans? How do veterans engage with the media and how does the media engage with veterans? Uh, really interesting discussion I had with author, columnist, music video, video director, Boone Cutler, and Ben Bueller Garcia of American Warrior Radio, and of course, Havoc Journal owner, Charlie Faint. Um, it was funny. I, obviously, this was going to be a media-centric episode, but I think largely because of Boone being who he is and doing what he does, uh, it kind of segued nicely into kind of a health and wellness uh, angle as well, which I think actually dovetails well with um, with how vets interact with media, since it can rile veterans up a lot and cause a lot of second and third order effects in a veteran's life. Um, it's kind of interesting to talk about the psychology of veterans and what veterans need to do to uh, maintain an even keel and some mental health and well-being. Anyway, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. Uh, ben and Boone are incredibly articulate and forthright. Uh, it was my first time meeting them. Uh, Charlie had been trying to get them on the show for a while, and this just was the right week to do it. Really came together nicely. Uh, we couldn't help but veer a little bit into Afghanistan because I think that's just on everybody's mind. But uh, yeah, really fun episode. So I think you guys can enjoy it. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is the Weekly Havoc. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Havoc, where we engage in a roundtable discussion with the staff and writers at Havoc Journal. Try to make a little order out of chaos. Ben Bueller Garcia never served in the military, which puts him in a long line of prestigious guests we've had that have been civilians only. But he considers it his duty to support those who do serve. And he, Ben, what's your exact title with American Water Radio? Are you the president now or how do you title yourself? <laughs> Uh, host producer. Host producer. Okay. He's the host producer of American Warrior Radio, whose mission is to bridge the chasm of understanding between the civilian population and those who support us at home and abroad, the men and women of our military and first responder communities. American Warrior Radio, Warrior Radio currently broadcasts on five stations in four markets, Tucson, Phoenix, Colorado Springs, and Sacramento, and podcasts on all major platforms. Ben. Great to have you on. It's a true honor. Been a big fan of you guys for a while. And, you know, Charlie always likes to schedule these interviews when I'm on the air. So it's nice to take a weekend <laughs> off, kind of, sort of, <laughs> and, and be here. Good. And American here Warrior Radio's loss is our gain. I'll take it. All right. Good oh, enough. Right. Um, Boone Cutler is an author, columnist, music video director, and warfighter rights leader. He's become the first nationally recognized radio talk show personality who's also a combat veteran from the current wars. He began writing his Iraq war-inspired novel, Voodoo in Sadr City, during his combat tour in Iraq, later completed it 
during his two-year recovery from wartime injuries at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. He's the host of Tipping Point with Boone Cutler. He founded the National Warfighter Symposium. He was diagnosed with early-onset Parkinson's disease uh, due to a blast injury in Iraq and currently starting to campaign for more awareness on the issue of degenerative brain disease in the warfighter community. And then Governor Sandoval of Nevada appointed Boone to the Interagency Council on Veterans Affairs for the 2012-2013 term, working with the council, helping establish the objectives of the Green Zone Initiative based on the needs of Nevada's veteran. He's also a music video producer and director for Redcon One Music Group. Boone, it's a real pleasure to have you on, man. Man, it's my pleasure to be here. And thank you for the reminder. I need to update the hell out of that bio. My gosh. <laughs> I, w- I was going to ask you questions about that throughout. I was like, everything's like 2012, 2014. I was like, I'm sure he's done other stuff since then. I hope some of this stuff is still up to date. But I figured regardless, it probably shines a light on a lot of stuff that people should be aware of anyway. It's definitely on azimuth. I'm just a little bit further down the down the chain, you know. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Charlie Faint, of course, is here again. Everyone else that tunes in every week should already be able to recite his uh, resume with me like a catechism. But to those that don't know it, he is an active duty Army intelligence officer. He's the deputy director of the Modern War Institute at West Point. Previous assignments throughout special operations, including JSOC, seven deployments in addition to operational tours in Egypt, the Philippines, and Korea, three master's degrees, one from Yale, currently a PhD candidate. Charlie, I'm going to throw in a new one. You're also co-author of Violence of Action, the untold stories of the 75th Ranger Regiment in the War on Terror. See, we never usually talk about that, but we should throw that in. That should be part of the official bio. Uh, He's also secretary on the board of directors of the Veterans Repertory Theater. He's executive director of the Second Mission Foundation, and he is the owner of the Havoc Journal. Hi, Charlie. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me back on the show. And I can't tell you how excited I am to be here with Ben and Boone. I've been on both of their shows. They're fantastic. Uh, They're fantastic hosts and great patriots, and I, I really appreciate both of them making the time to be on today. And as always, thanks, Charlie, for being able to book them, because without Charlie, I don't get the great guests uh, that I would otherwise have. And uh, Charlie's been talking to you guys up for a while, so I'm glad we're able to do this. Uh, we're diving into, obviously, a media-centric episode. Specifically, I said the title should be, Do Vets Matter to the Media? And Does the Media Matter to Vets? And we can interpret that any number of ways, but I think, guys, to start with, let's take those in inverse order. Does the media matter to vets? Boone, I'm going to start with you. When you were overseas, and obviously you were going hot and heavy, you didn't have a lot of downtime, but how much did the media matter to you on deployment? How much did it matter to you off deployment? How, matter, how much did it matter to you when you became a veteran and were no longer actively in the military? Well, I, I can tell you one good incident. I was in the uh, in in Iraq. I was sitting in uh, I was sitting in the chow hall. And we had just got done uh, doing this large scale operation. It's one of those things they bring in all the media for, and uh, or they at least talk to them about it. And I was listening to what had happened uh, according to the media back in the states. And I was there. I was on the ground. I was like, that's not what happened at all. I mean, it was sure. just it, it had been totally politicized. It had been. They, I, I seriously, I don't know where they were because I was there and I didn't see anything they were talking about. And so that was totally ridiculous. And then we skipped forward a little bit further and I was in Walter Reed and, you know, when you're there, you're, you're constantly starving for, for information yeah. that just recently was like the most important thing on the planet. I mean, you, you were evolving your life around it 
and you're trying to find something in the news that's relatable and it's six months behind and you can't really dial in. And so you're in this media blackout. And I don't think people realize that they're they really don't know what's going on based on the media a lot of times. Uh, and then nowadays we skip even forward and everything is so polarized that, that I'm not, you know, I mean, news agencies aren't news agencies, they're PSYOP factories. Yeah. And, and being a PSYOP factory now, you know, we've got this tribalization and it's, you know, everybody splits left or right. And some go down the middle and some just run the hell away, which I think is probably the smartest thing to do for your own sanity. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's very difficult. Uh, how important is it to me? It is very important to me, but it just doesn't exist in the form and fashion that I think is healthy. So I guess to sum up, it's safe to say you gained an, a healthy disrespect for the media. Would that be fair over your years in and then after your service? I would say a healthy disrespect and a healthy distrust. Absolutely yeah. a healthy distrust. And again, uh, you know, coming from a PSYOP background, when I watched the news, I had to turn off, uh, you know, anything that was audio visual because the PSYOP, the theme and message, it was just so heavy. It's just like, you know, where are you guys going with this thing? And I see everybody just kind of tromping down the line, you know, hey, diddle, diddle, right up the middle. Everybody's eating, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and, and eating the, 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 the nonsense that's being thrown out. And uh, and now we're in a place that um, I'm not so sure we can turn back from because, you know, if you if you look at the path, we've got, you know, start you start with polarization, then you go to tribalization, then you go to dehumanization and then comes killing. And I'm not down with this whole this whole glide path and we're on it. And I don't I think people see it, but nobody's jumping off. And I think it's media driven. So, Boone, I'm going to stay with you for one second only because I think there's you're hitting on a bunch of things that are worth following up on right away. Obviously the media matters a lot to veterans. Uh, it's the one common ground or the one common entity that tries to sum up, distill, analyze our experiences in many ways. Sometimes while we're in theater, sometimes when we're out of theater. So it matters the issue I see is that a lot of people end up becoming demoralized because either because of the propagandization of the message or because um, they're just veterans, I think, may not feel that they are articulate enough to be able to dive into the nuances, correct the record on the different things they see and personalize their experience in a way that's going to make sense to a civilian population. And as a result, they end up doing like what you talked about, just running away from the coverage. Does that square with you or does that sound like, uh, I mean, does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something you can relate to and see the issues with? Well, I think as soon as you said the word demoralize, I mean, you had me at demoralized because that's exactly right. And, um, uh, yeah, you, you summed it up because how do, and, and the other thing is access, you know, there, there's a lot of times the, the, just the rank and file dude who knows what the hell is going on, doesn't get access to media to be able yeah. to correct the record. You know, they've got their, their pundits that are, that are paid and they've got to be on theme and message with whatever that particular news agency or psyop factory is pushing. Otherwise they don't have a job. They don't make money. They don't get the publicity. They can't sell t-shirts and books. So they play the game too. So we're in this feedback loop. that's constantly going around and around and around and around. That's just churning people up. And I, I think as it churns people up, it shoots people up too. And then comes the demoralization. So I know we're going to dive into Afghanistan writ large a little bit later, and I don't want to 
totally dive into it now, but I want to bring something up, Ben, as I pivot to you, um, because this was my experience. Uh, this time last year, I was in Afghanistan, and there was no news coverage that we saw on the TVs of Afghanistan. Um, there was a lot of coverage on the burning of the cities. A lot of people um, on the in the outstation I was at were fired up um, seeing that. There was an acute sense that the war was at home and that there was a lot of trouble mm. brewing at home. But we were forgotten that Afghanistan and, – and nobody was feeling neglected. It was just, hey, Afghanistan could not be more of a back burner issue. It is just off the radar. Pivot to – 365 days later and Afghanistan's all the rage. Everybody now suddenly everyone is writing about Afghanistan. Oh my God, the horrors of what's going on there. That to me illustrates the importance of the media to veterans and to active service members. You can feel, and I don't want to get too new agey about this, but I think you can feel a psychic pullback from the public when the media doesn't cover what you're doing every day in a war zone and there's no attention being paid to it. And that does, um, to use the same word I just used before, that does demoralize and um, kind of undercut the momentum that you have there. And as a result, everyone was kind of blasé about leaving. It was like, eh, okay, I guess we're leaving Afghanistan because nobody really gives a shit about this anymore. Um, so Ben, <laughs> With that in mind, as somebody that talks to vets and somebody that helps vets, I see, with messaging and with talking about what's important to veterans, how much of a role can you and therefore us play in messaging veterans' concerns and the reality for veterans correctly? Well, I tell you, that, that, that was a very long question, but that's okay. We've got to fill an hour and get it. <laughs> Um, the, the, um, that really is the reason that American warrior radio was founded and exists is to bridge that chasm of understanding. And you you guys have done lots of shows about, you know, the civilian population, not really getting it and, and what, you know, what veterans can do to, to help improve that. But, you know, the, it's interesting to me over the course of the nine years of doing this show that very often when I talk to the public affairs officers, I'm trying to schedule an active duty person on the show. I always have to emphasize I'm not media. Mm. I'm not media. I'm an advocate because that, you know, they're always, they're, they're on guard for those gotcha questions to the point where they'll even send an escort to the studio to make sure, you know, the Colonel or the general or whomever doesn't step out of line during the interview. And it's, it's live radio. It's, it's not going to matter much, but um, so that, that's number one. And I think that's, that's gotten worse probably for good reason. Uh, number two, thinking about your statement and what Boone said before, you're, you're going to see now that's the the flavor of the day. So you're already starting to see the articles about the, the blame game for Afghanistan and whose fault is it? Is it the policymakers? Is it the military? Is it the generals? Who, whose fault is it? Um, but the, the, And how that relates to the experience of the Vietnam veterans. But what Boone said struck me as really interesting in that during the Vietnam generation, the fires burning and the cities burning at home were because of Vietnam. And in this case, it's a, it's almost a, it's a completely different subject. So I have to agree. I mean, if it's not top of mind, 
Um, and, and most of the people out there, they don't have a, a family connection. I think in one of your previous shows, somebody said only 2% of the folks not, not only are not in the military, but even know somebody who's serving in the military. And so if that's not on the news cycle every day, the general public out there thinks they forget. So that's why I think people like me, it's our duty to communicate these messages. Absolutely, 100%. And it, I mean, just talking to you fellows today, it makes me realize I need to step my game up. So talk to me a little bit more about that, Ben, Then, as somebody who, and thank you for setting the record straight and, and saying, look, what I do is advocacy, not media. Um, talk about what veterans then mean to your medium to American Warrior Radio. What does that mean for veterans to participate in that? Obviously, it gives you credibility, right? And it can fill in the, the gaps, give some details and all that. But on an emotional level, and as far as bridging that gap and getting truth or context out to civilians that wouldn't otherwise know it, what, what, uh, how do you see your role? So really, I see my role, and, and what's interesting is even today with, with you three gentlemen, I'm at a disadvantage because I never wore the uniform. So having been around and supporting the military for most of my adult life, I've, I've kind of picked up the lingo and, and some of the, the traditions, and, and, and that's okay. It's enough to get me by. But you know, I, I've never been one of you, and I never will be. So but having said that, I feel very comfortable in the role as a translator. I see myself as a translator between those who serve and those who haven't using the power of storytelling. I was, my folks were missionaries. I was raised overseas and we spent a lot of time with the indigenous people. And so I, I learned the, the power of storytelling and a love for storytelling. So really what we do through the program is allow the veterans themselves to come on and tell the story in their words. And sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's shocking, but it's all, it all works. And I just, I, I want to, there's one photo that I've always got in my mind I want to share here because to me it communicates what the civilian world so often misses. I, I volunteer with a group called the Tucson Community Cares Foundation. We support the families of deployed airmen at my local Air Force base. And we, we have a regular event. It's called Adopt a Bearman. You know, the family comes out. They get to enjoy the facility for free. And every child gets to pick a little teddy bear. They stuff it. But inside each bear, there's a, a pressure-sensitive voice box. And whoever's deploying, mom or dad records a message on that voice box. So mm. when the family's separated, the child can hug the bear and hear mom or dad's voice. So this is my first event. I'm working that table. And here comes a mom, dad, three handsome little boys. And I say, which one of you is deploying so I can show you how to use the box and take you to a quiet room to record it? He looks me in the face and says, I'm going this month. She's going in three. Mm-hmm. And as a, and now, again, this was at, at a, during when we had a higher pace of deployments. But nonetheless, as a civilian, my head nearly exploded. He said it like, I'm going to you know, tell Charlie, I'm going to run down and get a, get a Coke on the break. No big deal. And that one picture about the sacrifice that these family makes Make it needs to be front of mind of every civilian out there, uh, you know. Period. End of, end of discussion. So that kind of leads me to a subject that Charlie and I just actually finished speaking about earlier today <laughs> on a different podcast. Uh, but I'm going to steal some of that thunder again, which is the issue of veteran influencers and as veterans become celebrities, because obviously getting the message out. Uh, about veterans and, and helping people understand their concerns, uh, the pressures they're under, the op tempo that they deploy under is important. 
But now, and Boone, you were one of the first ones to really be part of this cusp. Uh, we have a, a rising tide of veterans that have become influencers and are, let's call them media figures, sometimes on social media, sometimes they're doing Instagram posts, podcasts, what have you. Um, what are the pitfalls in that messaging? Boone, I'm going to go back to you on that. What, what do you see as the dangers as veterans start to raise their profile in the media sphere? Well, I think I think we got to separate things. Like like we were talking earlier, you've got those 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 major news agencies who have their guy, you know. And the reason I started Tipping Point Boone Cutler years ago was because if you wanted the warfighter perspective, you got like Ollie North for two minutes, and that was yeah. it. That's all anybody yeah. got, you know. And I thought, you know, we we deserved our whole show, you know, for the warfighter perspective. <clears throat> and that's why I put that together. Uh, in in today's world, I, I don't see. Well, there's two things. One, I don't know how seriously most of the quote unquote veteran influencers are taking the concept of messaging. I know they're th- taking the concept of consumerism very seriously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as the concept of messaging and actually talking to the community, I just don't see it, you know, and I, I think it leads to some, some real problems because the, the civilian populace and the general populace, uh, you know, holds up these icons and uh, let's I mean, let's just call it like it is. Look what look what happened with Black Rifle Coffee. You know, you have all these people that were holding up these icons saying these are our conservative veteran influencers. And then they pulled back from it. And then everybody's like, well, screw them, you know, I mean, for right, wrong and different for whatever. But my whole question was, what made all these people hold these guys up as icons and thinking and and to what made them think they were politically astute i don't think these guys ever came out and said hey we're the guys who are politically astute and you should listen to our political opinions because we're smart and this is who we are they never did that i mean they were making you know dick and fart jokes and some you know some titty flicks you know i mean this is this was this was the game you know selling coffee and everything they were about entertainment they weren't about politics and so i think we've got this vacuum here and and i think it's wrong and and so when the the worst thing that's wrong within the warfighter community is that we create these icons and then when they don't live up to what we think they should be which they never volunteered to do then we start eating our own then we just start chopping them up and 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 calling them sellouts and everything else and i'm like well wait a minute wait wait you, you guys bought into coffee here you didn't buy into a political figure and now you're pissed off that your coffee hero is not a political figure i think there's something wrong with that and i also think it's wrong that you know our community looks at these influencers and holds them as such high esteem makes them what they're not and then punishes them for not being what they wanted them to be now, what does that say to us? It says we really are looking for veteran influencers to have that leadership and to be able to say this is right, this is wrong, this is the left limit, this is the right limit, and they're not getting it. And I think the reason they're not getting it, again, it goes back to those PSYOP factories. Those PSYOP factories are getting their guy in the mix, but when you got you know the on-the-ground folks here, we're just barely moving out of the rant phase. You know, and I was yeah. one of the first yeah. big ranters, you know, then John Burke came and then you know, all these other guys came. But – 
and, and then now I look back on my rant videos. I'm like, ah, I, I don't do it anymore because I look at it and I'm like, I was kind of overly emotional. And, and there was this real nice lady, Rosie Babin, a mother of Doc Babin. And um, she was a sweet lady, but I did one of these rant videos and, you know, using the F word, every other word, the way I used to do it. And she's like, you don't need to do that. And I'm not, I'm not going to be your friend on Facebook anymore. I just think you're smarter than that. And I, I don't like it. And it shocked me. That was like one of the last times I did it because this woman that I respected was telling me something that was very honest and truthful. And I had to look back at myself and say, you know what? I'm appealing to the crowd more, more than I'm appealing to sensibility, logic, and and actually explaining things. So I had to pull back from that and I did, and I'm glad I did. Uh, I had to get smacked in the face to do it, but she was right. Sure. You know, sure. she, she was right. My emotions were getting ahead of me. So I've been very, um, you know, very conservative, not politically conservative, but very conservative about what I'm going to say on camera uh, and on air now, not that I'm going to change my intention, my emotion, my veracity, but I'm also going to think it through and say, okay, I'm not going to isolate, you know, people that I think are good people. And that's what I was doing. I was isolating people that really could have been allies. So it's about grabbing more people and getting them into the middle. Back to your question. I know we kind of got out here. You know, the veteran influencer space currently, I think, is a lot more about consumerism than I think is about issue. And people need to not get that confused. That's a great point. Um, there's a lot in there that I want to pick up on. Charlie, um, I think Boone drew a good line in the sand between major media outlets and their relationship with vets and then the way veteran influencers interact with, say, their social media followings. So let's take the media piece first, just because that might be an easier way in. Let's talk about the importance of veterans as pawns in the and what Boone terms the psyop factories, um, the pitfalls, the dangers, or the advantages to a veteran, say, going on Rachel Maddow or going on Tucker Carlson, and um, finding common cause with somebody like that in the name of whatever, whether it's raising their profile, get putting attention on a certain issue. Uh, talk through those pitfalls as you see them. Is that a worthy endeavor or not so much? Yeah, generally speaking, I think anytime we can get well-spoken, well-meaning, well-intentioned veterans out in public, I generally think that's a good thing. And we talked before on the other show about how you can take that too far. But anytime I see a highly functional vet out there, even if it's someone that I don't agree with politically or who's doing something that's there's that is morally and ethically fine in business, but I wouldn't do. I'm normally, I'm, I'm fine with it. If a guy wants to sell coffee, wants to sell whiskey, wants to sell funny videos on the internet, I, I think that's fine with me as long as he doesn't, he or she doesn't damage the veteran community. So, and as far as, as the advocacy, Boom made a great point earlier about the difference between consumerism and actually being a, an advocate out there. But something I, I read somewhere, I didn't come up with this, but there's no, there's no mission without a margin. So it's hard to break in. The barrier to entry at these high levels where you have a political influence is very high. So maybe uh, an influencer gets in at a low level and they're, they're making silly videos or they're writing books or whatever. And that generates the attention and the money because we all know it takes money to, to do something like that to get to a level where they can have a, a prime influence. Can I chime, can I chime in there? Because that's a good point. And I want to talk about my own failures. Um, I did not subscribe to any of the consumerism 
Uh, and matter of fact, I was kind of against it at the time because I, I felt it was taking a, a disingenuous. I felt people were looking at consumerism like it was advocacy and they were they were kind of latching onto it in lieu of advocacy. And so I, I had a problem with that. So I, I, I had a bad taste in my mouth about doing anything like that. Like you guys have never seen me sell a T-shirt, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure I could sell a couple T-shirts. But and I might have to go that way. I might go that way because I think things that the, the environment has changed. But when you're talking 10 years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, we had a community that could not that was so discriminated against because PTSD phobia is real. I mean, guys were having difficulty getting jobs. People were getting screwed over in court. People were, you know, having difficulty getting a place to live because they would see on the application that you served in the military. They're afraid you're going to be a crazy vet. They wouldn't they wouldn't rent to you. These things were real and they were happening. So I felt like that's where the focus should be. And I honestly had my feelings hurt. Like, why aren't more people jumping on this who are quote unquote influencers? Why am I the guy out here, you know, constantly screaming on top of this mountain, planting my flag and, and it's not working as well. I'm not getting the following as other people were. And then I kind of realized that it does take money to do this. You can't do it on personality. If we, if Martin Luther King existed today, he would be selling t-shirts. Okay. It's a truth. So, there, there, we're, we're kind of the door swings both ways before it comes to, to the center. And I think we swung real hard on the advocacy. Now we've swung real hard to the consumerism, but it's coming back to the center again. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with we now have a peacetime veteran community. And what I mean by that is for us that have been on active duty, there's, there's the wartime military and there's the peacetime military. And the peacetime military usually has a lot of crap you got to do and a, a lot of politics and it's all nutted up. And then when you're deployed, though, you're focused on the mission. It's mission focused. You got to take care of the guy next to you because people are shooting. And so it becomes more real. And I think we had that very real wartime veteran community, you know, seven, eight, ten years ago. And now we've kind of moved into a more settled peacetime veteran community. And and now we can kind of work things out. But we got to deal with the BS that comes with that. Ben, I mean, yeah, well, let me. Oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> sorry to take off with your 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 show here, but apparently no, that's good. what we're doing you're here good. today. <laughs> I, you know, c- context is so important. So let's remember, media has always been weaponized when it comes to war. Uh, you know, the the Spartan messenger with the you know rolled up piece of whatever they used back then. You know, maybe the facts were adjusted a little bit to make sure the folks on the home front uh, stayed happy. It's just that. From my perspective, it's never been so blatant and, and upfront as it is now. I mean, there's just no question that these news readers are no longer communicators; they're they're now crusaders, and and that's part of the problem because yep. that has eroded, eroded trust all, all across the the spectrum. Number two, I'm not media, but I I spend enough time in the studio and and in my my day job, I do a lot of that. And and keep in mind that there's only a certain, unlike a podcast, you've only got a certain amount of time. This you got 30 seconds to deal with this story. You got 15 seconds to do this bump before the commercial break. And the industry as a whole, God bless them, I love them, have gotten kind of lazy. You know, the, you see someone on the local TV news reading this copy and then that same copy you know that they're reading whatever's on the teleprompter and that same copy's gone out to 300 different stations so they're reading the same darn thing and you can even find videos on youtube where you've got all these folks saying the same thing with a different backdrop and so that that's become a factor too i mean the 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 24 news you know 24 hour news cycle is now 24 seconds so it's go 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 and you know the the facts be damned so um 
I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, one thing I'd like to say, I, I think when we're looking, I'm always the optimist on my show. And as we're looking for ways out, I've always been an advocate of veterans becoming more involved in politics because that's that's where the sausage is made and you've got uh, you know jimmy gagliano who's been uh, a writer for havoc journal he's now the mayor of his little town eli crane who's a navy seal the founder of bottle breacher very successful entrepreneur he just declared for congress and those things warm my heart and i think that's a step in the right direction maybe we need to get more veterans involved in the journalism field yeah, I, th- I, I think there's a natural segue there. I will say I've always thought politics is downstream of culture. I think that might have actually been Andrew Breitbart that coined that phrase. But um, but I do think culture is a huge place for veterans to make an impact. And I think when we look at veteran, let's call them veteran celebrities uh, that are coming up now, I think a lot of them can fill that gap that in the mid-90s, was being filled by Jerry Springer, Ricky Lake, uh, Oprah to a lesser degree, almost the pop psychology or pop philosophy um, segment of society that's wildly popular, um, gets a lot of eyeballs. But you see people like Jocko Willink and all that um, who actually have battle-tested, combat-approved philosophies um, and are willing to give voice to them, and they're getting the traction. They're getting the ears that in another era might have gone to you know Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew. And I think that's interesting because I think politics will come down river of that. I think the the I think the more that the culture can be influenced and the more that veterans my my I'm letting my bias show here, but I think the more that veterans can bleed into pop culture, um, hopefully the more common sense can filter out through that, the more of those perspectives can become mainstreamed. Does that seem pie in the sky to you, Ben, or do you think that could fall in line? No, I, I think that is exactly where we need to go, but in, in the right places. I'm, I still don't know what the hell an influencer is, to be honest with you. I don't know if you take a, a course from the back of a comic book to, to achieve that title, and and I'm okay with that. You know, I've, if I can influence... Coming back to sort of that, this you know the starfish parable. I I don't know how many people listen to American Warrior Radio, but you know if I can impact one person, it mattered to them, and I'm okay with that. But it's become such a numbers game, and uh, you know I tell you, I, I got real excited when I saw my Google Analytics, where you know I've got a bajillion visitors every month until my website guy said, no, let's take a closer look, and you know 98 percent of these are bots from from the Ukraine. Um, these aren't real people. And at that point, it's okay, we'll shut those numbers down. They're not real. But I know there's folks out there would would take them and promote them. And so uh, to me, I think the thing about there's still, even though there's, and Charles and I have talked about this, the, the very scary erosion now out there in the general population of trust, even in our military institutions. Yeah. And part of the way to get, to get back, I think a lot of us still trust them. So yes, becoming more influential in the right categories. Uh, is I guess where I'd, where I'd place that. Chris, That's well, you, fair. You were talking about culture, and I, and I want to make sure that people give – we give credit where credit's due. I think one of the big things or biggest things that has brought the, the, the military culture into the mainstream, and this is where i got to give them credit because now we're down the road. We can look back. 
is uh, is the t-shirt companies. They did a good job mm-hmm. of giving us a uniform because before this particular era, guys who came home from Vietnam or they wore their fatigues. That's what they called them, their fatigues. Right. But now right. guys could grab a grunt style shirt, a Ranger Up shirt, a nine line shirt, and we could identify each other in public. And and it gave us a uniform to wear that has bled into the civilian populace. Boone, I want to ask you, when you just on a strictly entertainment level, you're not, you don't want to watch a movie. You don't want to see a book. You want to listen to a podcast or you want to read an article or something like that. How much do you personally trend towards something that is about veterans or about war fighters or has a military theme to it? And how much do you go towards something that's just abjectly civilian based? I would say it's probably 90% abjectly civilian based. Because, so because yeah, because this agree. is where my head is all the time. I need a break, yep. you know. You know, so it's uh, so when I I'm watching, you know, Tyson DeGrasse, or I'm watching, you know, some sort of. I, I do a lot of studying, but I, I I like to get into documentaries. I like to break things. I I like to you know break them apart. You know, like epigenetics, epigenetic mm-hmm. adaptations. How does that relate to PTSD? So I mean, so it all kind of comes. What I do study in the civilian space kind of comes full circle. Because it applies. Makes sense. So here's here's where I'm going with that because to Ben's point about the Russian bots and about the traffic that he sees at American Warrior Radio, I wonder how much of the veteran uh, – well, let's say veteran bullhorn uh, really needs to reach the civilian community um, because to veterans, a lot of times you just need a break. Um, or you've ingested as much as you can, and it's like, hey, I, I need to just touch base with the civilian world out here. But to civilians, I I think that's that's where it seems like that's fertile ground to kind of put some new ideas in their headspace. So then the question is, what does appeal to your average civilian that ha- doesn't have military experience or hasn't thought of the military as a particularly appealing sector of American life before? And I think, and I'm thinking out loud here, but I think that's where the commerce piece comes into play because the T-shirts, the the bottle breacher, you know, whatever it is, the goods that go out there are kind of a little bit of a gateway drug into going, wow, I didn't realize, you know, what the Navy offered or the opportunities that the Army had or, you know, whatever – Am I th- overthinking this, Ben, or does that kind of make sense? No, I, I think you're spot on, absolutely spot on. I have a client uh, who's in the in, uh, industrial sector, a mining sector, and you know they said, look, we'd hire veterans all day long, every day. They know the chain of command. They're disciplined. They work hard. They can pass a drug test. There's just plain old a lot of advantages to that. And I'm glad you mentioned that because they're, you know, we give Black Rifle Coffee a hard time. I like their coffee. I, I like it chewy. So I'm, I'm okay. That's all I need to know. But, uh, you know, the Declan James Watch Company, again, a former Navy SEAL producing just high quality timepieces. And so that's that's the foot in the door. I want a great watch that I can give to my son and he can give to his son. I'm going to go to Declan James. And oh, by the way, the reason these watches are made so well and they've got a lifetime guarantee is because he applied that ethos that he developed in the Navy SEALs to his business. So I think you're spot on um, there. You know, again, that, that's why I say in the right sector, it's America. Go out and sell a T-shirt if you can sell a T-shirt. But in some of these other areas where thing, you know, wouldn't it be nice to see a, a 
a veteran-owned uh, car brand or or something like that. So, no, I short answer is yes, I think you're right. Charlie, how much should veterans continue to see themselves as a tribe? You know, Boone just talked about how we're now you're getting into more of a peacetime military mindset. Um, at what point can a veteran just be an individual? Or at what point should they continue to align themselves and, and see themselves as part of a greater movement? Is that just an individual decision or is there some general way that they that veterans should think about that affiliation? Yeah, I think that I, I would hope that every vet always sees themselves as part of the veteran tribe, whether they served in combat or not, or peacetime, wartime, army, any branch of service. I hope we're all part of that same tribe. But we're a subset of the tribe of America. And that's something that I think a lot of veterans forget. And I think that we as vets need to do more outreach to reach out to these folks who have no experience in it. And I think we do that through our silly videos, through our marketing, through going on these channels, through what Ben and, and Boone have done here with their respective programs. Those things are so important. We need to get out there and meet these folks so they don't get their opinions of us through the news, through entertainment, through shows that just ridiculously portray the worst and most stereotypical falsehoods about our profession. So I want to see vets out there doing highly successful, highly functional veteran things, whether that's politics or, or entertainment or sports. We have some veterans. I think uh, there's a West Point grad who's playing professionally for the Steelers right now. There's, there's folks out there and there's folks out there in business. I think we just need to do a better job of highlighting Maybe we need to get them on the show, Chris. Yeah. You, you know, the, the, the one thing I've also seen in, Excuse me. And the guests I've had on the show recently has been an, an increase in the philosophy of collaboration among the veteran entrepreneur community and supporting each other and mentoring each other and building each other up. Uh, you know, you've got the the two Andrews and Wilson, the two very successful Navy authors who are given as much promotion as they can to uh, Bone Frog Coffee and what they're doing. And he's offering to mentor other people. So I think that's also another tool that on your side of the fence. As veterans, you can do that to help promote and get us beyond. Because that's one of the things that, as Charlie mentioned, is my least favorite. You know this this idea of the broken veteran, yeah. and you know every veteran who's ever worn a uniform, whether they've seen combat or not, are just this far away from snapping and, and and you know going rogue and becoming Rambo or something. And that's just so far from the truth. And that's one of the big hills that we have to to conquer out there with the civilian community. So the more veterans we're going to have out there doing, you know, being, like you said, very functional, successful, normal lives. And, oh, by the way, I just happen to be a veteran almost would be the target, uh, the goal. I like that. And Boone, uh, here's what I was going to ask you. How does a vet avoid being a pawn? If you choose to go on to certain shows, if you want to give voice to whatever your cause is and all that. How do you draw that line in the sand? How do you navigate that minefield so that you're not just a useful prop for whoever's show it is um, and you can actually stand on your own two feet, stand on your own ideas and not feel that you have to conform to someone else's ideas? I'll, I'll give you a good example of that. I, I use my dad for that. My father was a Vietnam veteran and he retired, you know, 20 plus years out of the Marine Corps. He's since passed. But I remember there was a situation uh, in Nevada uh, with a with a guy who happened to be a veteran, but he was also a state senator. And 
he he got set up. He he really did get set up. He was he was there talking with with his constituency, and he was saying how you know he does what his constituency wants, and he's a representative, and he's going to be the best representative. And someone said, "Well, if your constituency wanted you to support slavery, would you do it?" And he had backed himself into a corner, and he says, "Well, if that's what they want, that's what I'd have to do." <laughs> and I. Yeah. And I, so I brought that situation to my dad and we were talking about it and my dad goes, no. And I, I said, what do you mean? He says, you're a politician. You're, you're a public speaker. You're not in the military that has to do as you're told, you know, for, for, provided it's a lawful order. He said, in that situation, what a person should do, which is, I think, is a g- good idea. Uh, what a person should do is say, no, I'm not. If that's what you want as a constituency, then I am not a good representative of you. So I will leave and you can find the person you want. He says you maintain your integrity with what you believe. And I think that that, that idea flows through in what, what you said. Guys who get in front of the camera or whatever, maintain your integrity with what you believe. Don't try to appeal to the crowd. Don't get caught in a corner. You know, just, just talk it straight and have your own ideas and have those ideas revolve around the ethos that we were taught in the military. I think you're going to be okay in that in that in that in that context. But remember, you don't have to get along to go along with the crowd. You're not in that situation. And people expect us to be leaders. And when I talk to guys who, who work in different areas and, and they're veterans, I remember one guy, he was in the uh, in the airline industry. He was like, he's like a loader, he like loaded bags and stuff. And he's like, well, nobody listens to me. And I said, do you talk? And he says, well, not, not really. Cause nobody listens to me. I said, listen, brother, everybody you're around knows you're a combat veteran and they're dying for you to say something. They want to hear, they want to know what the combat vet has to say. They want right. to know what the veteran has to say. So step up into that game. And so that's the thing. I think guys need to step up and I think they need to remember what their ethos is and not appeal to the crowd and say it like it is, but say, it in a way that it is palatable to a bigger audience if you're just out there you know trying to play the mf game constantly like i used to do uh you're isolating people and i don't think we're in that phase uh of our culture right now our era is no longer that era our era now is the guys who are who are articulate can explain what they did in the military apply it to a civilian context and it has an ethos base that so makes a ton of sense. Sorry, sorry Ben, go I, ahead. I like to angle to become the Havoc Journal media consultant here. And, you know, a little tip here for those folks that are veterans are going to be doing interviews. For live radio and television, dead air is like kryptonite. And you don't always have to answer the question. If someone asks a completely knuckleheaded question like, would you support slavery? It's okay to say nothing. Just give them the look and let them start to fumble all over themselves and come back with a real question. Uh, there's even, frankly, a lot of power, particularly when it's live. Walk off the set. Boy, that's going to get some clicks. So. <laughs> that's a great point. That's a great point. Ben, I want to use your translation skills to put this into uh, – to go between military and civilian uh, lines of thought. So one thing I've noticed is that a lot of people, civilians, seem to regard – GWAT veterans in the same way that they regarded or they think of Vietnam veterans. And that is to say, oh, you know, your government's lying to you. You've been betrayed by your government. You're coming back and you're just this poor, uh, you know, like we talked about, the non-functional, dysfunctional veteran. Um, but that's because a lot of the media narratives are focused 
on that because that's the handy framework that most people have. Most people, um, there are the lone survivors, there are the Chris Kyle books and all that that go out there and that have kind of given a bit of a different perspective. But I think for, at least in my experience, the overwhelming majority of civilians see war as an evil unto itself. It doesn't matter what you're fighting for. The very fact that you're in war is the sign of a horrific, corrupt government. And maybe I'm just speaking about the people I know in New York, but that's that's the vibe I get. That's what I pick up. Translate that for me in, in, in the civilian world. What do you see when you're talking civilian to civilian with somebody and you're trying to explain what you do, the people you advocate for, do you see that similar misconception? And if so, how do you push back against her? How do you alter people's perception so they see the value of the individual veteran and not just a broad stereotype from 1968? By, by doing exactly what we're doing, letting the veterans tell their own stories and letting people get to know them. Now, I will tell you, it's important to keep in mind that the context of the battle space we're in, and I would disagree with you. Uh, a little bit about whether the, the global war on terror veterans are seen through the same lens as Vietnam, because that was a whole different time. And, you know, coming back to my example of the protest stateside had to do with the war versus now where it's other issues. Bear but in mind, I, I guess, live in New York with a lot of ex-hippies, so that okay, may very well enough. be why. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, given what we're seeing in the news literally as we speak right now, that could very well change. Um, I think there was, despite whether you're a hippie or whatever you want to call it or not, you know, a lot of us still have a lot of pride in our country. And the fact that a lot of people saw Vietnam as a, you know, we're, we're, I don't want to say we're undefeated, but we had a lot of wins and then Vietnam was a loss. And now this, this situation with Afghanistan right now, I'm very concerned about what that's doing, going to do psychologically to some of the, the current era veterans and and how that's going to how that's going to play in the media in the country out there. Can we just Boone, can we just address this for one second? The media coverage of Afghanistan um or lack of coverage up until recently of Afghanistan. I'm not necessarily trying to assess blame, but can we talk about what that means to veterans? when the media pays attention to something that vets think is important or doesn't pay attention to something vets think is important? You mean what are the effects of the media completely ignoring all of our successes and then blast uh, you know, through the airwaves 24-7 about how Afghanistan is a failure and fallen? This is the story that they understand. They understand failure and fallen. Yeah, right, this is right. the story they understand. You know, all the successes and everything just weren't reported on. You know, at some point in time, people got tired of hearing about the troops in the field. And so everything went quiet and went dark. And the, the new stuff that would get eyes, that would get attention, was the stuff that was happening around the Afghan people or some atrocity or, or this, that, or the other thing. But um, I think it is, it is so out of balance and the fact that it is out of balance, if we don't speak up as veterans and say and write our books, everybody should be writing their books. You know, I mean, everybody. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the Navy SEALs didn't didn't only fight the war and everybody else was just standing around. You know, I mean, right. everybody needs to be writing a book. Everybody needs to be telling their story in some way, shape or form, because uh, there were a lot of successes and just successes amongst ourselves are good to tell. Like, you know, what did you learn from it? What did you get out of it? What did you, you know, come to understand about your fellow human being? What did you learn about the world? Because there are so many Americans who don't understand 
anything about Afghanistan or Iraq or any of the other theaters that we're, we've been in. They just understand what the news says. And what the news gives you is, hey, here's a happy story about the troops because you want to hear that. When you get tired of that, then we're going to start telling you negative negative stories about the populace. So that's not an accurate portrayal of 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 what happened, not in the least. Uh, and I don't necessarily think they're trying to do that, but that's well, yeah, they are trying to do that, but I don't. I don't think they're necessarily looking for the effect to be, you know, negative against veterans. But what they don't realize, and what I, I, I one of the reasons I say everybody needs to tell their story, is because, like right now, if the world just knows we walked away and everything went went you know went downhill, and that's all they know, how, think about the next generation of warfighter has yeah. to go somewhere and do something. What kind of help are they going to get from the civilian populace in that country, which, it, which our success is so dependent on so many times. And now we've crapped all over that. We've crapped all over that. And so we got to get our stories out there to, to, to keep our, to keep our rep clean. Hey, you know, it, Sorry, ben, it's interesting hearing Boone say that because I'm looking at this screen and there's four people that have got at least four platforms to start telling those stories right. today, That's tomorrow. Right. And maybe we start here. Maybe, you know, we, we start planting the seeds and, you know, I'll, I'll get a focus on, on getting more folks in to talk about the good. Um, and the, you know, the nice thing about American warrior radio is we avoid politics pretty much altogether. So, um, you know, let's talk about those successes and, you know, regardless of whether you think we should have been there or not, let's talk about the successes and maybe it's incumbent upon the four of us right here, right now today, to start that and start leveraging our resources to encourage others to do so as well. It's a great point, Ben. That's a great point. Listen, guys, we're pushing the hour. Ben, I want to ask, tell us about the tower challenge. Yeah. Uh, 20 years ago, fellas, um, this September 11th will be the 20th anniversary of those attacks. And uh, we I work with a group here that has a, we think it may be one of the largest tower challenges in the country using exclusively military first responders and their families. Uh, it takes place where we're in three different markets in Arizona. We're expecting about 4,000 folks to, to accept that challenge and climb 2,071 steps uh, this year. It's a 100% volunteer group, uh, 9-11 Tower Challenge Foundation.org. Folks can find out more. All the 100% of the proceeds go to benefit uh, military and first responder charities. This year's beneficiaries are the 100 Club of Arizona and the Gary Sinise Foundation, which you may have heard of. And folks don't have to be in Arizona to do it. You can sign up. You can literally get the T-shirt and the challenge coin and do it from, you know, your stair climber at home or, you know, walk around West Point if that's what, you know, you're inclined to do. Uh, but I encourage folks to visit 911TowerChallengeFoundation.org and, and help us in the spirit and, and making sure these names are never forgotten. We're going to put that in the show notes as well, as well as a link to American Warrior Radio, where I'm sure you'll probably be mentioning it a few more times on there as well. Right, Ben? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Boone, tell us about uh, the Spartan Pledge. Let's start with that. Well, the Spartan Pledge is a battle drill. It's what to do when you don't know what to do. And I think a lot of us get in that situation. Uh, long story short, I'll tell you how it started. A, a buddy of mine that I had served with in, in Iraq um, he called me one day. He was just kind of bummed out. And he said he'd just been to a funeral. I asked him what happened. He says, oh, this this uh, other veteran had taken his own life. And that, and that brought up the topic about suicide. And I asked him, I said, yeah, you ever think about it? And he goes, yeah, every day. And that blew my mind because, you know, this is a brother that, I mean, we – we did, we went through more stuff together than most people would ever go through. And how could I not know that about him? How could I not know that about him? 
uh, I reached out to another brother that I had served with and I said, Hey, you know, same situation. He goes, dude, I haven't even left my house in two years. I'm like, what is going on? How come I don't know about this? And so we all got together and just decided that, you know, nobody can stop anybody from taking their own life, but don't be a bitch. If you're going to fucking do that, you call me first. Cause I don't want to be stuck spinning around the, on this planet wondering what could I have done? What happened to you? What is going on? Because I'll torture myself for the rest of my life. Don't do that to me. So let's have an agreement. If you're going to do that, you call first, you say, Hey, this is where I'm at. And then, you know, we'll take it from there. And, and with the interesting thing about that is just having that agreement. Cause you don't take the Spartan pledge for yourself. You take it for the other guy. It's not about you. It's about yeah. the guy. And it's saying, Hey, I'm here. You know, I'm the one you reach out to. And, and the thing about that, that's made it, so effective and it really is effective i mean we now have a memorandum of of understanding to do the spartan pledge with the va hospital because now they recognize Mm. that that this this program is more effective than what they have and for a lot of times they 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 shunned us because i use the word until in the in the sentence and and people who who say oh i will never take my life well you know that's that's really nice and that's really awesome that you can say that but when you're in that histrionic thinking uh, that 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 thinking where you're just in one you can't get out of that rut. Um, you can't think about forever. That's why the Spartan Pledge is a yeah. battle to, to do what you, to, you, so you know what to do. You can think long enough to get to your battle buddy, and that's already ingrained in us. If you're having, you know, you reach out to your battle buddy. So that's what that whole thing is about. And then the second part of it, it's broken into two sentences. The second part is to maintain a mission, because if you don't have a battle buddy and a mission, you're a warfighter. You're pretty much dead. You got to have a battle buddy. You got to have a mission. So it's two sentences. I will not take my own life by my own hand until I talk to my battle buddy first. My mission is to find a mission to help my warfighter family. And it's been widely successful. We've, uh, speaking of the World Trade Center in 9-11, we've made a sword, a Spartan sword out of the steel, the wreckage from the World Trade Center. And that sword travels around the country to do Spartan pledge ceremonies. And, and that's it's been very, very powerful. Anybody who's ever been to a Spartan Pledge ceremony, it's very, very powerful. It's not namby-pamby stuff. I mean, it's pretty hard-hitting. It's warfighter language. When we talk it straight and uh, and guys step up, they say, you know, hey, you know, I'm not just going to be for you, be, be, be here for you outside the wire. I'm going to be here for you inside the wire, too. And I think that's that resonates with our community because it takes the warrior ethos and it turns it on it. It turns it on its head. And it gives us something to bite on when we're having trouble. Yeah, 100%. Tell me about Functional Personal Lifestyle. Uh, it's, a, it's a great book. I put it together with Jeff Dardia with the uh, Task Force Dagger. And I I went through and basically told my whole story about, you know, being in the hospital, getting out of the hospital, getting off the drugs, war porn, violence, all, you know, more drugs, more violence, and and kind of just kind of told my, my own story and I wrote it in verse so anybody can read it. And it's like a workbook. It actually says in the beginning, you know, get a highlighter or a pen and circle. It works. It still works. And as I go through all these things that didn't work, there's little nuggets in there that did work. And so guys kind of follow the path, which is similar to a lot of us. And we, we figure out what works for us because it's not always what's in front of you that a doctor is saying. Sometimes yeah. it does have to do with community. Sometimes it has to do with family. Sometimes you got to come to terms with your alcohol drinking. You know, sometimes you got to come to terms with are there other things that work cannabinoids work fantastic hormone replacement fantastic human growth hormone fantastic you know and stem cells i did stem cells down in panama because my heart got blown out work saved my life you know all these things we have 
available to us or they at least exist and we can get access to them uh, with, with some work and some help and everything else. Uh, and we just need to it's, it's just there to open up people's minds like, hey, listen, there are other things that are available to you than just sitting in front of a doctor saying, cure me. And these are the things that you have to do. But it's going to take some effort and don't be a bitch. Get out there and fucking do it. You know, I mean, you, you yeah. want to be that guy. You got to you got to make that happen. And also relying on each other. And Jeff goes through his whole story, too. So and right. it's it's a very small book. You can read it in an hour. Uh, but it's just packed with information. I encourage everybody who get it to get it. Anybody who's married or has a family member that's in the, in the community, please read it as well, because it will help you understand what's going on. Guys tell me all the time, Hey, this, I gave this book to my wife. She understands now I go or my mother or my husband, whatever they understand what's in my mind. And so that's why I did. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of opened up my own brain puked up on a, on a, on a book and there were, there were the words and, and people kind of get it. That's a great point for the spouse or the family member to understand. That's a, that's a huge market as well. I'm glad uh, that sounds great. Glad that's out there. And uh, again, we'll link to it in the show notes. Charlie, what do we have from second mission? Hey, I, first of all, I think this was a great episode. I'm so glad to have Boone and Ben on the same show. And it sounds like we got a a lot of overlapping interests, looking forward to see what, what all four of us can do for the veteran community together. So second mission, we just got another big donation from uh, an anonymous donor. We're very appreciative for that. So now we have a pretty impressive war chest and we're now, depending on the way COVID works out, looking forward to working with some like-minded individuals in the community. Some of these big names that we mentioned on this show, getting together and seeing what we could do to help out. So Armor of God just went in to get printed up. So that accompanies the Hill of Second Mission's second book hitting the streets here shortly. And I hope more vets want us to tell their stories, Chris. Outstanding. Ben, Boone, and Charlie. You, oh, sorry. You can no, hear, go ahead. Go ahead, you can hear the, the Hill coming up on American Warrior Radio That's soon. Right. Thanks to Say what? Oh, very <laughs> cool. So, right on. Real, real, real quick. I'm just a poor immigrant. I always trying to learn everything from every show. So w- w- with the point of personal privilege, gentlemen, a master's degree from Yale, is, is that the equivalent of a bachelor's from another university? From, from Harvard? Or, or a doctor? <laughs> I'm just curious. So, hey, who, who knows? I mean... Um, I, I uh, I'm told that it, that having that master's doesn't even count because I don't have a PhD. So maybe one day, maybe one day. <laughs> Got to dream the dream. Okay, guys, Ben, Boone, Charlie, thank you. This was awesome. Really appreciate you guys being here. Thanks so much, guys. Take care, gentlemen. Great show. So to everyone else, if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe. If you're on iTunes, a five-star review would be outstanding. You can leave us whatever feedback you like. We love constructive criticism. If you could attach it to a five-star review, that would be great because the metrics do matter. Show notes will be available at theweeklyhavoc.podbean.com. Again, that's theweeklyhavoc.podbean.com. Or you can read my accompanying article at Havoc Journal or just scroll down wherever you're listening to this podcast and you'll see all the show notes that you need, as well as the show alibis, which I write generally to cover my own ass in case there's anything I misstated, misremembered, something that I said that needs more context. Um, that will be up in there as well. That also applies to any of my guests, although generally I'm the only one that does that because I'm the only one that brain farts to the degree that I need to write something about it. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Boone Cutler, Ben Bueller-Garcia, and Charlie Faint. 
and we'll keep trying to make order out of chaos when we see you next time for the Weekly Havoc. So Ben, what you missed earlier is Chris and I had about an hour and 45 minute separate podcast earlier today. It was pretty cool. So Chris is probably tired of talking to me already today. We have nothing left to say to each other, Ben. <laughs> if you weren't here, it'd just be radio silence for an entire hour. Well, you're going to have to pick up your game because I'm not a talker, man. I let the guests do that. Yeah, no. Now that now you get to see, uh, see how the other half lives. Speaking of which, are my sound levels okay on this Radio Shack yeah. East German microphone? <laughs> looking good. You're looking good. Okay. Stasi knew how to make them. <laughs> <laughs>